Good evening. The president comes to New York and New Jersey in the aftermath of the damage caused by the huge deluge associated with Hurricane Ida that slammed into the region last week. We talked to labor and environmental activists in New York about whether the aid in the city are actually doing what they say they're going to do to step up. We hear from Bernie Sanders as well on climate change. And then we're going to cover the Taliban and what's happening in Afghanistan. And we're going to talk to the widow of a 9-11 victim. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Tuesday, September 7th, 2021. As President Joe Biden toured deadly northeast flood damage today, he said he was thinking about all families who suffered profound losses from the powerful remnants of Hurricane Ida and pointed the finger at climate change for extreme weather events. Biden was in the northeast to survey the aftermath and call for federal spending to fortify infrastructure to better defend people and property from future storms in the region and far beyond. Governor Kathy Hochul, Senator Chuck Schumer, and President Biden met together with a gaggle of elected officials who promised to help. The volume of water that came down in a one-hour period from 8.51 p.m. to 9.51 p.m. last Wednesday night broke all the records, and literally the records have been set 10 days before. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the definition of a climate crisis. We're experiencing a climate crisis as we speak. But more than talking about that, it's a humanitarian crisis. And you only have to walk down this street, as I have many times with our elected officials, who care so deeply about the people who live here and throughout Queens and all the other affected communities, to know that people that we represent, who put their faith in us, are in pain right now. They're hurting. They look into our eyes and they ask us to help and we will not abandon them. Nine years ago, we had Katrina. And those of you who experienced that understood that it took from October till December, even January before the aid came to our state. People were playing politics with people's lives back then, despite the best efforts of our leaders here. I'm so proud to say that we've never seen a response like we've seen from President Biden and his administration and our leadership in the Senate and the, and the House of Representatives. This community is hurting. We've lost loved ones. We've lost homes. We've lost all businesses and even small things. The marriage albums, the mementos, the pictures that can never be replaced no matter how much financial help we're able to get people. Leaves a hole in your heart, a hole in your heart. Now in the short term, of course, we need the federal aid to staunch the bleeding and rebuild stronger and more resilience than before. We so urgently need, Mr. President, your big and bold, your big and bold Build Back Better plan. We must attack the cancer of climate change that is driving these destructive storms. That means protecting our frontline communities that bear the brunt of pollution and decarbonizing our economy ASAP. This is America, where I'm standing right now. These are the people, whether it's in Scranton or Claymont or anywhere around the world, the country, who built this country. And it's about time we step up. They're always the first ones that are hurt and the last ones that are helped. But that's not going to happen this time. Sometimes some very bad things happen. 
that have a tendency to bring out the best in a people and a country. And I think what people are seeing across this country from the wildfires in California and the far west, which I'm heading to in a couple of days, all the way to down in Louisiana and the Gulf where I was a couple of days ago, to New Jersey and Pennsylvania to a lesser extent, Delaware to a lesser extent, and New York, people are beginning to realize this is much, much bigger than anyone was willing to believe. And a whole segment of our population denying this thing called climate change. Right. Right. But I really mean it. Sometimes my mother used to say, out of everything bad, something good will come if you look hard enough for it. Well, I think we've all seen, even the climate skeptics are seeing that this really does matter. Earlier the day, Biden was in New Jersey where he met with Governor Phil Murphy. Biden says climate change is a proven fact. We're working closely with Governor Murphy. We're going to continue to do so. I'm here to see firsthand what the damage is and find out directly from you all what what is uh, most needed. For decades, scientists have warned of extreme weather would be more extreme and climate change was here and we're living through it now. We don't have any more time. I've been on the telephone or on the road an awful lot between uh, California, Idaho, Louisiana and New Orleans, Mississippi, here, every part of the country. Every part of the country is getting hit by extreme weather. We're now living in real time what the country's going to look like. We can't turn it back very much, but we can prevent it from getting worse. We're at one of those inflection points where we either act or we're going to be we're going to be in real, real trouble. Our kids are going to be in real trouble. In New Jersey, President Biden walked along a street in the Lost Valley neighborhood of Manville, where cleanup continues after the Raritan River overflowed its banks. Many front lawns were covered with waterlogged couches, pianos, crumbled plaster, and other debris. To illustrate his point, a woman from Manville described the loss of her house and the destruction that threatened her newborn. Why don't you explain what happened? Our plan was to come back once the water had gone down. Our daughter's nursery is on the second floor. And it's over there in the other corner. Yeah, half of her nursery, the wall, is back there, and the other half of her nursery is down the street. Nobody in the area was able to come back yet because it was still, the waters were so high. At least 50 people were killed in six eastern states as record rainfall last week overwhelmed rivers and sewer systems. Some people were trapped in fast-filling basement apartments and cars or were swept away as they tried to escape. The storm also spawned several tornadoes. More than half of those deaths, 27, were recorded in New Jersey. In New York City, 13 people were killed, including 11 in Queens. Mayor de Blasio. sewer system of New York City, which is vast was not built for this kind of extreme weather, which means we would have to rebuild the entire thing, obviously with a particular focus on the areas most vulnerable. That's a Herculean task. We will start on that task immediately, especially with the new federal support we're getting. But the truth is we've got to go at the root cause if we expect to get through this without a lot more tragedies. We're going to have to do things very differently. That's the bottom line. What I think we have to learn from this, because it was not, I mean, you saw it up and down the eastern seaboard. Uh, all localities thought they were dealing with something different. 
or we would have been providing an entirely different approach. We've done it in snowstorms, for example. We would have done it here. The bottom line is we now know we cannot get sufficient projections. They don't exist. And we're going to have to overwarn people and provide a very different approach. We have a task force we're putting together that's literally going to assess everything the city does in terms of extreme weather and reset the entire equation. We're going to be talking to people in serious potential events, any serious potential event, about travel bans, about mandatory evacuations. It's going to be an entirely different language, an entirely different set of assumptions. So um, I've looked carefully at what the projections were on Wednesday morning. They were not for the all-time greatest rainfall in our history and the kind of impact we would have had. If we had had those kind of projections, we would have done things very, very differently, obviously. And that's Mayor de Blasio. He was setting up the question that we then asked Maritza Silva-Farrell, is the city really doing what it's saying it's doing? And why did the mayor fail to uh, foresee the damage that occurred last week when Ida came just a week after Henry came and did not quite as much damage, a similar intense storm? Why don't we know the difference? Why don't we know why one storm will do a lot of damage and another won't? And how come they couldn't tell that difference? And how prepared is New York really for this problem? And uh, just to mention as an aside to that, the city has been claiming that the problem is coming from the ocean, that the problem is coming from rising sea level and storm surges. Now, as the mayor just alluded to, that in fact, they're saying, no, that's not the problem. It turns out rainfall, the problem is coming not from the coastal areas, but from the very skies above the city. Align Director Maritza Silva-Farrell says the inaction extends to climate change. We're going to continue to see more of this. Uh, climate change is still here. We are seeing a lot of destruction not only in New York City but across the country. Infrastructure is still not there. A lot of good effort from the mayor in terms of like laws. We have moved him into passing important laws and some laws in the state level as well with the governor, previous governor. But we are still now implementing these laws in the speed that we need. What are the laws that you're talking about? In 2019, the members of the New York Renews Coalition would pass the Community and Protection Act. This is a law that will basically get us to 100% renewable energy by 2050 in our state. Right now, there is this conversation about the implementation of the law, but a lot of ways to go. And similarly, here in New York City in 2019, we passed the Local 187, which is a law to tackle the greenhouse emissions that are caused by large buildings. 70% of emissions in New York City come from buildings. So the infrastructure upgrades for those buildings and retrofitting those is another way to reduce emissions and at the same time ensure that the funding that these buildings invest in is also shifting the way we use electricity in those buildings. One thing is future climate change, the contribution of carbon from New York's buildings and things like that. And the other thing is, are we ready for flooding? Today, when the mayor was talking, he said that we were wrong about flooding being the real problem, but the real problem is rain now. And the money we're spending to prevent storm surges might be the wrong place that we should have been putting it into sewers and things like that. The reality is that a lot of the city funding has been put in the, in the wrong place. <laughs> you know, if we think about this, it's really important that we recognize that our city infrastructure 
overall hasn't been upgraded in a really long time. So he's right in terms of thinking about the sewer system. It is an important point that it needs to be addressed before we have catastrophe. So the lack of planning in the city is a problem. How do we build housing and where do we build housing? It's another thing that we need to be thinking about. Affordable housing, rezoning systems that were put in place. The question is, are we actually doing our due diligence? And I don't think enough planning has been put in place this far. And I'm not just saying this. We are actually seeing it. We experienced it last week. Many people have suffered the loss of life and their own infrastructure homes, right? So I think this was a big warning. And the current mayor should be thinking about leaving behind a plan in place so that the future mayor can actually carry on and take the steps that are necessary to become a resilient city. Nine years ago, we were hit severely by Sandy. It was an awful moment for our city. And back then, one of the commitments was for us to really put attention to resiliency. And we're still not there. Mm. How many more years do we have to wait? There's so much politics involved. The public sometimes doesn't know if we really need a project or it's just because somebody wanted that project. The number one thing that we will have to recognize is that the dependence of fossil fuels had to end. We need to stop depending on fossil fuels. All these corporations are pretty much managing our city and our state. Politicians, some of them, are allowing it to happen. Everybody looks up in New York City, right? Like, So we have to be a model here and any politician that gets elected in November will have to actually step it up in their game. It's a matter of good politics to take action quickly and ensure that there is a resiliency plan in our city, ensure that all of the work that needs to happen for us to reduce the creation of greenhouse emissions, the interconnectedness of all of these issues is really important to take in consideration. Well, there is a little bit about an analysis that needs to be put in place around equity as well, ensuring that black and brown communities are being taken care of, the ones who have, have been suffered the most, whoever gets elected as the next mayor, to take the steps necessary for make our city as resilient and as it needs to be to be able to protect our communities. Marissa Silva-Farrell, that is from Align. She spoke with WBAI earlier today. Last week, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont hosted a town hall in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, to promote Democrats' $3.5 trillion budget plan. He's the chair of the Senate Budget Committee. He called the bill the most consequential piece of legislation for working families we've seen in this country since the New Deal of the 1930s. Sanders also pointed to climate change as an immediate crisis. The situation will become worse. But I don't have to explain that to the people of Cedar Rapids. I don't need to remind you, you know better than I do, that just 13 years ago, in 2008, the stage right here, this location, was eight feet underwater. In 2008, the Cedar River, right next to us, crested to a record of 31 feet and displaced more than 18,000 residents just in this community, damaging nearly 6,000 homes. Cedar Rapids experienced what scientists call a 100-year flood. But we know that the so-called 100-year flood is becoming more likely to happen every year. And I don't want to be the bearer of bad news. But scientists from Princeton and MIT are now telling us that as global temperatures continue to rise, 
100-year floods could become annual occurrences in parts of the United States. That means a flood like 2008 every year. That is not sustainable for Iowa, and what's going on in Louisiana is not sustainable for them. Senator Bernie Sanders. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. In world news, Taliban spokesperson Zabahullah Maujad announced a new interim government in Afghanistan with acting Prime Minister Mullah Mohammed Hassan Akhand and new cabinet picks during a press conference in Kabul. Among the nominated were established Taliban personalities who dominated the 20-year battle against the United States and its allies. The Taliban declared the country an Islamic emirate. The announcement came hours after the Taliban fired gunshots to disperse protesters outside the Pakistani embassy, accusing the neighboring country of interfering in internal Afghan affairs and playing an active role in the Taliban takeover. Appointed to the key post of Interior Minister was Sirajuddin Haqqani, who is on the FBI's most wanted list with a $5 million bounty on his head and believed to be still holding at least one American hostage. He headed the feared Haqqani network that is blamed for many deadly attacks and kidnappings. And that was the scene outside the Pakistani embassy. Meanwhile, tensions were high on today as... uh, Protesters, including women, marched through Kabul to the Pakistani embassy. Demonstrators accused Pakistan of interfering in internal Afghan affairs and playing an active role in the Taliban takeover. After passing several roadblocks, the protest was disrupted by armed forces who pointed a gun at a protester as tensions rose. According to reports, the armed forces later attacked protesters and members of the press after clashes broke out. As much as 80 percent of Afghanistan's budget comes from the international community and a long-running economic crisis has worsened in recent months. Near daily flights from Qatar bring in humanitarian aid, but the needs are massive and the Taliban can hardly afford isolation. Florida Republican Marco Rubio spoke today in Iowa at a fundraiser to blast how the Biden administration handled the pullout. Incompetence combined with arrogance. The, the, probably the two worst things you could have, incompetence and arrogance combined together deadly every time. You, I don't know if you call them dear Taliban, whatever you call them in the letter or whatever you, however you address these people, okay? We're leaving, but let me tell you what's going to happen before we leave. We're, we have people we're going to get out. We have equipment we're going to get out. There are certain conditions that we're going to meet before we get out. And if you get in our way, we're going to kill the people that get in our way. And once we're done doing these things, then we'll move on. But not a date certain. Why the date certain? Because they wanted a press conference on 9-11 to be able, just like they wanted a press conference right before July 4th, to tell everybody the pandemic was, was, uh, was over, freedom, the new Freedom Independence Day, about, that was about, what, 10 days before they told everybody you had to wear three masks. There's the same thing with this. That was Marco Rubio earlier. As the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks approaches, not everybody agrees with Senator Rubio, none, not including those who lost loved ones in the 3,000 deaths that occurred in the attacks on the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, the aircraft over Pennsylvania that was crashed after a bloody fight. One of the Jersey girls is Kristen Breitweiser. She's a lawyer and co-founder of September 11th Advocates. She just wrote the piece – My husband died on 9-11. I'm still waiting for a trial of his killers for The Intercept. 
In the early days, immediately after September 11th, I worked along with some other 9-11 widows, and we just all happened to be from New Jersey. And so when we were meeting up with the larger group who were from Connecticut or New York State or Washington, D.C., they just always referred to us as the Jersey Girls. Admittedly, it was 20 years ago, so we were a bit younger than we are today. So, um, But that's where the name came from. You lost your husband there. I lost my husband on the morning of September 11th. He was in the second building, the South Tower, on the 94th floor. He was a money manager for Fiduciary Trust International. And it's the 20th anniversary. Of course, that's painful. It's enormously painful, and I think what's so difficult for so many of the families is the lack of accountability, transparency, and justice with regard to the what really is the 3,000 homicides that took place on the morning of September 11th. My husband, along with everyone else's death certificate, lists the manner of death as a homicide, and I just can't wrap my head around, nor can any of the other 3,000 families, the fact that we live in a democracy based upon a rule of law, and there has not been one indictment and full prosecution of any 9-11 co-conspirator. And that is in the face of our government having plenty of evidence to do so and just, frankly, choosing not to do that. And I think that that is horrific because without accountability and justice, what message are you sending to terrorists around the globe? You know, the only message that I can think of is that you can come and kill thousands of Americans on U.S. soil and the U.S. government will not hold you to account. That is an extremely dangerous, lethal message to be sending to the world. This isn't a Democrat or Republican issue or problem with this lack of accountability, transparency, and justice. This spans 20 years. So it started in the Bush administration, moved to the Obama administration, then went to the Trump administration, and we're now in the Biden administration. It is systemic, and it is bipartisan, and it's a problem. There seems to be a lot of failings here. There's an enormous amount of failings, and there's, I'm sure, considerable embarrassment on behalf of the U.S. government continuing to have relations with nations like the Saudi kingdom. The reality is we're in the middle of a civil court trial trying to hold the kingdom accountable for its role in the 9-11 attacks. And the U.S. government, our Department of Justice, in concert with several administrations over the last 20 years, have done nothing but cover up and obfuscate the Saudi role, the alleged Saudi role. I don't find that acceptable. I don't think any American should find that acceptable. We do have some people in custody down in Guantanamo. Unfortunately, because our CIA tortured them, the 9-11 families will never have our ability to hold them accountable either. The U.S. government has literally blocked our path to justice. Frankly, no one in the U.S. government who failed to prevent the attacks has been held accountable either. There are individuals in the U.S. intelligence apparatus that had information that had it been properly shared with the proper authorities, the September 11th attacks would not have happened. George Tenet, the former director of the CIA, was given a Medal of Freedom. Tenet shouldn't have been given a Medal of Freedom. He should have been put in jail. How did you feel when you watched the last week, that whole chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan? I think it's heartbreaking. As someone who's spent an enormous amount of time researching into Afghanistan and our country's history in Afghanistan, it comes as no surprise to me to see the debacle that was being carried out there. It breaks my heart, and it is yet another example of this government mismanaging and making really horrific foreign policy decisions that cost lives. 
the reason we're in the position that we're in today and the reason why we're still witnessing such gross ineptitude in places like Afghanistan that's costing innocent lives is because after 9-11, the American public did not demand that anyone be held accountable. You want to know why we went into Iraq on bad intelligence? Because George Tenet was never held accountable for his bad intelligence and judgment decisions on 9-11. If you're going to keep repeating patterns of the past, we're going to keep having the same horrific things happen. And we need accountability. Until we demand that, we're still going to be in the situation we're in, which is keeping us very unsafe. Kristen Breitweiser, one of the Jersey girls, is a lawyer and co-founder of September 11th Advocates. She just wrote the piece, My Husband Died on 9-11. I'm still waiting for a trial of his killers for The Intercept. And finally, in Brazil, tens of thousands of supporters of embattled right-wing President Jair Bolsonaro heeded his call and turned out at rallies today as he stepped up his attacks on Brazil's Supreme Court and threatened to plunge the country into a constitutional crisis. Bolsonaro has been locked in a feud with the high court in particular a justice who has jailed several of the president's supporters for allegedly financing, organizing, or inciting violence or anti-democratic acts or disseminating false information. In calling on his followers to take to the streets on Brazil's Independence Day in protest, Bolsonaro, known as the Trump of the tropics, stirred fears among his foes that the demonstrators could erupt in violence akin to the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol by supporters of President Trump. By late, But by late afternoon, there were no reports of any serious violence. And that's some of the news for Tuesday, September 7th, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.